0: we are not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides believers to all wisdom and truth. But we are just sharing our experience of being new believers who came from new age and went from one extreme to the other. And now by the grace of God, we are actually being sanctified in the narrow road with Jesus, which is the middle. It's equilibrium, um, balance not not, not going into extremes of doctrine that are created by culture, but actually just believing what the Bible says and receiving every word that comes from the mouth of God as our daily bread. Like when I read the word now, I choose to believe it even if it contradicts my experience, Amen. right? If my experience doesn't match the word of God, it's my experience. That's wrong, not the word of God. So, um, I just see a lot of, um, Yeah, a lot of uh, emotion in the body, a lot of like carnal thinking that leads to um, different doctrines of man. I see like deliverance mania right now is like very on trend. And so yeah, maybe we can talk about that because we both have experience with that.
1: I really came to understanding all Paul ta- talks about in the New Testament is mind renewal yes. and putting on the armor of God. Now, that being said, you put on armor to protect what's coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. If you don't put the armor on, you can get attacked. Right. You can't have things actually penetrate you. Mm-hmm. That's the point of armor. Right. So if there is a spirit there you get it cast out then you put the armor on forever but if you just if you keep putting armor on and there's something inside of you it's not going to come out that way but so i want to make it clear
0: keep getting delivered but you have no armor on
1: right and so (laughs) that's why i think there's such a and i want your take on this and i do want you to speak to if you don't mind briefly Mm. your experience with deliverance so people know that you do believe in it because we're not bashing deliverance we believe in it we think it's necessary for the believer absolutely and i know you've seen a lot of manifestations especially in baptisms you've done so yeah and um oh it was just amazing this is a miracle it's like a spiritual surgery
0: that no one can do except for god like no one can do this except jesus christ i was so lost and so blind and he just saved me he just came reached reached down from heaven and ripped me out of darkness and i was born again and i just knew that Jesus is the only way to God because he is God. He's the only way home. And I just cried. I mean, I spent the first three months of being born again on my bedroom floor crying, repenting, weeping, receiving his love, receiving his spirit, washing me. Receiving revelation. Oh, it was so amazing. So, I, he, God knows, <laughs> He knew my situation. I was living in the middle of nowhere in the Pyrenees Mountains in the south of France. I did not have a Bible. So, the Holy Spirit was so thick around me, and Jesus was so close. It was as if He was like cheek to cheek with me every moment. <laughs> like everywhere I would go, it was just here or here. And He was talking to me, and I would audibly hear Him speak. And, um, He's so good, because he knew I didn't have a Bible, he would teach me the Bible in my sleep. So I would fall asleep and he would take me through a whole book of the Old Testament. He taught me the Old Testament. And I think that's really beautiful that he did that because I got to read the New Testament myself in a physical Bible, but he taught me the Old Testament first, and I believe he did that to teach me the foundations of his law, of who he is. He's the God of Ages. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the Alpha and Omega, the timeless, endless God. He's not created. He's He's an uncreated being. So He wanted to show me His original um, co- His original covenant with the people of Israel. And then later I would I would read and study um, the New Testament, the New Covenant for myself. So anyway, I didn't have a Bible, so he taught me the Bible in my sleep. It was incredible. I would wake up like, oh, I know the Old Testament, but I didn't know it was the Old Testament at the time. I just knew that I was receiving these incredible revelations about God's book. So he would take me in, in my dream into the book and he would take me to a specific book of the Bible, teach me the story like line by line but then he would show me the mystery key inside of it afterwards he would like break open the mystery key so he showed me how the old covenant was a foreshadowing of the new covenant covenant and the connection between like the blood in the old covenant and the blood of the cross Jesus's sacrifice on the cross just these amazing downloads that he was just Showing me, I mean, this was the real spiritual download that I'd been craving with all these practices and channeling I was doing. I would just fall asleep and he would show me who he is. He would show me who I am, why we're all here. And um, later when I would get a Bible, I realized that he was actually teaching me books of the Bible. So God is amazing. There's no excuse to not know him. Even if you don't have a Bible, you just cry out for truth ask him, ask Jesus Christ to show you the truth. And he will, you know, you, people say, what would you What would you say of people in like the Amazon rainforest tribes who don't have Bibles? They don't have an opportunity to know God because they can't read the Bible. So are they going to hell? You know, that's often an argument from atheists. To that, I would say there's no reason to not know God if you you want to know him because you can just cry out and ask him and he will come and his Holy Spirit will teach you the Bible in your dreams. He is unstoppable. He's irresistible. He's almighty and all powerful. And there's no limitation on who he can save. There's no one too lost and there's no one too far for him to reach and save. So if he could come and get a sinner like me, like I was so lost and I was, yeah, he truly is the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. And he did that for me and he can do that for anyone on this earth. So Oh, thank you, Jesus. So I had all these supernatural experiences with him after that that were just so incredible. And um, there's probably too many to to name all of them. But Jesus started delivering me. He pulled a demon out of my womb. I saw his hand come down in the spirit one day when I was lying in bed, this translucent hand. And it was exactly the same hand I had seen when I saw him. And but it was translucent. And he grabbed the this demon in my womb and he pulled it out. I felt this huge pop in my body, in my womb, like a cork being pulled out of my womb. And then my whole bed filled with water, like as if I was, um, pregnant and my waters broke. And, uh, I felt the demon leave. And, um, that was actually later, he gave me revelation that that was the demon of lust and sexual perversion that entered me when I was seven years old. So he's such a faithful God. And then later he, um, delivered me from that spirit of death at my baptism, I, before I got in the water to be baptized, um, I, I felt this, this voice screaming in my body. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, um, he sent someone in to start praying over me. And when this demon left, I, I could feel in my stomach, this familiar spirit of death, this, this, this pain that's so so awful it's so bad it's almost good it's so familiar that you don't want to let it go but it's agony and I knew that pain and it was that spirit of suicide that entered me when I was 11 years old so that left and I jumped in the water and got baptized and I was free and made a new creation in Christ and I died with him in the water and rose with him in new life what they think about religion and who they think Jesus is and just cry out to him for yourself. Just ask God or whatever's out there, whatever you believe in, ask the universe, ask your God, show me the ultimate truth. Show me the truth, the truth above every other truth. Show me the name above every other name. Show me the ultimate truth behind reality and i guarantee you jesus christ will show up because he is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to god except through him and he desires all men to come to repentance to return home to him he desires all of humanity to be born again he loves you and he desires you he craves and longs for you the way that you long for the truth Jesus Christ is longing for you in the same way that you are longing for the truth. So if you're a true truth seeker and you really want to know the truth, if you're truly open minded and you truly want truth, then just ask for Jesus to show you who he is.
2: Well, today's topic is going to deal with scripture and supernatural experiences. And I have things to say about this, as many do, uh, as far as my background is concerned, having been in the hyper charismatic and the new apostolic reformation. And I know that there are many people and probably people that could speak far better to this than I could. But I want to talk about this today. And the clips that I shared have to do with this. I know that there are other questions as far as the the video that we're actually going to be looking at today. Uh, I've had some women reach out to me after this video was posted a few weeks ago, but I want to look at some of the things that were said and to offer some thoughts as I normally do for consideration, Um, not to do it in such a way to belittle anyone or to uh, diminish anyone in what they're saying, but I do believe that as, as believers, we are called to test things in accordance with Scripture. Those things include people claiming supernatural experiences when they're trying to use Scripture in order to validate them. Uh, The first two clips that we just listened to came from a video that was released two weeks ago. It was a conversation had between Angela Ucci and Nyla Rose, and it had to do with maintaining deliverance and rejecting lukewarm Christianity. The third clip that I played is not a part of this conversation. However, uh, Nyla Rose did release this while she was visiting Angela, and it's her testimony. And I listened to both of these videos. I took notes and was really trying to uh, discern things based on scripture, what they were saying. And, and especially the testimony, I wanted to play this part because there is a great appeal to personal experience, as we'll hear today. And also, the call as far as telling people to search for truth was troubling, to say the least, because of what she encouraged people to do. And I hope that that is evident in what you just heard. I want to be fair because there are things that she's saying that are truthful, that are pointing back to Jesus. However, there is a great appeal to personal experience in order to validate or to solidify someone telling the truth about something. So let's look at this conversation today. And I want to even share some at the end, some thoughts and also a little bit about why I shared the final clip about her personal testimony to kind of give you a little bit more understanding of where this is coming from, because she does mention this in their conversation. So I hope that you find this helpful today as we take a look at this conversation and we look at what scripture has to say and understanding how supernatural experiences come into play. When someone is claiming them in accordance with their faith. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe Podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. Two weeks ago, Angela Uchi had released this discussion between her and Nyla Rose on her uh, YouTube video and her podcast called Heaven and Healing Podcast. And I had some women reach out to me as I did with the first one. Uh, wanting some feedback on this and wanting to have some commentary on it. And I had debated on whether or not to do that simply because I don't want it to come across as going after a specific individual. Um, People are welcome to take what I'm putting out and to critique it and to test it against Scripture. That is the biblical thing to do. And so after looking at it and taking time to listen to what they said, and to listen to Nyla's uh, personal testimony, I-, I decided to actually take a look at it and discuss it today. And so we're going to jump right into this because there's a lot of ground to cover. Now, this was a two hour and 16 minute long conversation. So I this is not going to be like a four or five hour episode (laughs) because I can't cover everything. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to summarize, but there are several clips I'm going to play just so you can hear them. So when we first listen to this conversation that's had between Angela and Nyla, we hear about seven minutes and 50 seconds in and I provide the timestamp so you can go back and check me. Nyla Rose talks about a radical encounter with Jesus where she saw him and I'm going to get to this at the end. I just want you to remember that. I'm starting with that so you can remember this because she doesn't go into detail about this in their discussion. However, she does go into detail about this in her testimony. And I, I, it's valid to bring this up because the main focus I'm going to f- uh, point to today is an emphasis on supernatural experiences and scripture. And after this, they go on about eight minutes and 44 seconds in. They talk about going from one extreme to the another, going from one extreme of new age to religion. And that Nyla said she really wanted to obey Jesus and she got sucked into religion. And that she shut down her psychic abilities and the devil used dead religion in her life. And she equates going to church and reading the Bible and etc. with no power. So I do want to play that one real quick for you to hear.
0: I Went from that extreme of spirituality to the extreme of knowing the living God, the one and only living God. And I was so lit on fire with, with love for Jesus. I was burning with such love for him that then I wanted to walk in holiness with him. I, I realized everything I was doing before was witchcraft. He opened my spiritual eyes to see that I had been in deception. And I came out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so there's another (laughs) huge shift um, that led me to a different extreme, which was I got sucked into religion Mm. because I really wanted to obey Jesus. right? Right. I realized everything I had been doing was was sin. And so my desire to live for Jesus and obey him was perverted by the enemy and I got sucked into religion. I think that happens to a lot of ex new ages Mm -hmm. because we're in the new age, I was always in the spiritual realm. I was always talking to spirits and doing spiritual things. And so when I came out of that, my desire to just be obedient meant that um, I shut all of that down, right? I shut down my psychic abilities and everything spiritual that i had been doing. I just wanted to obey God and the enemy used dead religion to kind of suck me into like, no gifts, no power, no supernatural experience. Just just read the Bible and go to church on a Sunday and just try and be good. So I go from one extreme of new age to then the extreme of religion.
2: You know, as someone who was part of the hyper charismatic movement, And it's not isolated to that particular movement. But I remember quite a few times hearing people uh, talk about other churches that didn't believe as we did and practice the things we did and calling them dead and not permitting the Holy Spirit to move. And now having come out of that, I I find that when that statement is made, and it's not to say that there aren't certainly people out there that are professing Christians and they're not truly professing Christians and they're really not, the, the Holy Spirit is really not working within them, which, you know, I find it degrading now and diminishing and uh, irreverent now to speak as a, of the third person of the of the Trinity as someone that we control and that we give permission and that we allow to do things because that's not the case at all. Even in sincerity, we can say things that are wrong and are unbiblical. But I would just challenge that remark of saying, you know, you go from one extreme to the next, as far as that, that can happen. But saying, and, and basically making it seem as if reading your Bible, going to church, being born again, are not supernatural experiences as far as us growing and being conformed to the image of Christ. And the appeal to experiences, let me just say this before I forget, the appeal to experiences a lot of times when people appeal appeal to those what happens is, is that other people that have never had those begin to question if they even know God at all. And we need to understand that there is something truly miraculous that's going on in the life of someone who is spiritually dead and wicked and lost and separated from God, that God is doing a miraculous work in the life of people when He raises them from spiritual death to life. So I, I believe that that's something we need to tread cautiously on saying things like that about people that are not, uh, for lack of better words, tapping into some supernatural realm of what you think or what anybody else thinks is a supernatural realm. And there's also danger in in. Again, some of the things that are stated, not just by them, but others, when you begin to make those delineations with people, because then it creates a hierarchy of Christianity. Whether you mean to or not, it does. It creates a hierarchy. So those that have had personal experiences or that they, uh, quote unquote, allow the gifts to to flow and to move and do these things, then they really know God. The other people are dead. And I've heard, uh, I've seen posts uh, that, I'll just be frank, that I've seen Angela and other people post regarding cessationism for example in saying that that's a false gospel and when i see people that are making those types of claims and then they're saying oh you need to preach the full gospel which includes signs and wonders then That is a red flag that would seem there's not a proper understanding of what the actual gospel of Jesus Christ is. So I believe we need to start there. Because if that foundation is faulty, the whole building collapses. And we know that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is sure. It's the more sure word of prophecy. And it's a firm foundation that the apostles and prophets laid with Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone. And I'm sorry, I'm going to get long-winded today, and there's lots of stuff I'm going to cover. There are links I'm going to share for resources, as I normally do, because I find referring you back to solid biblical teaching rather than simply my opinion on things, which I will give my thoughts on things, but I'm always wanting to provide solid biblical teaching for you to go back to and encourage you to do Bible study on your personal time and to be part of a local church church. Believers are supposed to be part of a local church, and they are supposed to be being fed by a biblical, a solid Bible teaching pastor that is submitting to the word of God. I'm just throwing that out there so that we're all on the same page with that. As we go on, she she talks about this and below over 10 minutes in, they talk about going to the charismatic extreme and that now she is in an equilibrium, Niall is in an equilibrium or middle ground. And they do talk about wanting to be corrected and sanctified and going into the biblical middle that is narrow and that not focusing about the gifts, that the focus is um, is supposed to be on the giver, not the gifts. Again, these are things I've heard before and I appreciate that they're wanting to Submit to correction according to God's word, to be sanctified. I appreciate all of that. Uh, the, the thing is, though, is that when people are wanting to state things that are pointing back to scripture, there can be a lot of pushback with that, and we are we can all be guilty of that, uh, that we don't want to receive that because of pride or that we think we know better, or uh, even when you first come out of certain types of belief systems and movements that you can go through this cage stage type phase. So we want to be teachable. And again, that's where getting into a local church, getting under solid biblical teaching where you have pastors, elders that you can talk to that are going to help you, guide you, lead you, correct you when when needing correction, or maybe that you can um, speak to them about questions or things. And certainly, if if you start to see things infiltrating the church that are reminiscent of what you came out of, a good, healthy environment is when you're able to have those discussions and and, and such they talk about all this going from one extreme to the next and uh, Angela says uh, about 13 minutes in she says to test everything with scripture and I agree with that I am in that and I agree with it and Nyla says having intimacy with God is important not taking our theology from YouTube videos and uh, they disagree with heresy hunting I'm actually going to provide a link uh, below I'm not going to talk about this today because again a lot of ground to cover but I'm going to provide um, a recent podcast link that uh, that was done uh, done, and it had to do about distinguishing error from heresy, because that term is loosely used and not everything is heresy, and so we need to know our terms because words matter and definitions matter. But they talk about that, and I agree with them too. Do not get your theology from YouTube videos. These should be supplements. Again, going back to a local church, doing your personal Bible study, getting under a pastor that's teaching the Word of God, and helping you to understand what it means in context. That's valuable and vital for you as a believer. According to to Nyla when division is involved the devil is involved about 16 minutes and 45 seconds in uh, I I played this earlier so I won't play it again but they talked about reading the word and choosing to believe it even if it contradicts your experience and Nyla mentions deliverance mania which again there are points in here that I agree with uh, that that there certainly is deliverance mania uh, they also touch on the extremes of cessationism and charism- charismatics, which I won't go into that today. About 18 minutes and 40 seconds in, they discuss about the lukewarm Christian mindset that holds on to sin, and they mention about legal rights are created and, and coming out of agreement with the spirits and the sin, and that she has uh, been able to maintain, Nyla says she's been able to maintain her deliverance. Now, they do mention several times about coming into agreement with God's Word, which I'll be honest with you. The first thought that came through my mind was it sounded like word of faith. When I hear someone say that coming into agreement with God's word, I want to ask, what do you mean by that? Because if we agree what scripture says in context, that's one thing. But when you begin to appropriate scripture for something you need and you're decreeing and declaring that, or you're saying that you're using that as, in a way, kind of like an incantation to keep demons away or things... I think that we need to evaluate what we're doing. I'm not saying that's what she was doing, but I am making a point of saying that, that when you say you're coming into agreement and then the legal rights talk, that's not in Scripture, by the way. That, That teaching of legal rights is a deliverance teaching that's been around for years, and I've talked about this ad nauseum on other episodes. I would like to know where the teaching in Scripture that born-again believers have indwelling demons and that casting demons out of Christians is the instruction. Again, if they appealed about 16 minutes in, 1645, about Scripture being the final authority, uh, and that even if your experiences don't fit that, that Scripture is the ultimate authority, then I have to ask, okay, well, where is this teaching? Because this teaching is not found in Scripture about born-again believers, and This is something that is worth contending for, my friend, because I believe that by continuing to perpetuate such teachings, it's diminishing the gospel, it's diminishing the power of the Holy Spirit, it's diminishing the the call of progressive sanctification, it's diminishing the power of God. And this is a serious matter. And then when people are being deceived, and Nyla mentions this about people basically continuing to go for the extreme that she talked about, going for deliverance all the time. She said she did this, doing self-deliverance and such. I appreciate she acknowledged that. But then when you're finding a middle ground and you're still saying, well, Christians can still have demons that are indwelling them, then the burden of proof is on you to show that in Scripture. And that was not shown in this conversation. I agree with their statement of scriptures: the final authority, as I said, and an experience contradicting it is wrong. But there seems to be a disconnect here in their conversation, and I'm not sure if they're they're seeing that or not. About 23 minutes in, Angela did not settle into the hysteria of deliverance due to the Holy Spirit, is what she stated. And then I played the other uh, clip a few minutes ago at the beginning, around 23 minutes and 45 seconds in, where they talk about mind renewal, about having your mind renewed by the Word of God. And Angela mentions about Paul the Apostle, and she mentions the armor of God and that we are to put it on. She says, if you do not have the armor on, you can get penetrated by the devil and be attacked from the outside again where does it say that in the passage and where does it say that when you put the armor on if you don't have a demon cast out first that you can't get the demon out because they said that as well so scripture please <laughs> for for that teaching i would i would like to hear that uh, and and again there's a appeal to personal experience with this they both appeal to personal experience with this and your experiences are to be tested Even though you say that Scripture is the final authority, you cannot use Scripture and make it conform to your experience. And that's what happens in this type of movement. And I was guilty of that before. Whenever I had something or I would pull some random verse out and think that God was giving me some sort of prophetic revelation on it that was not even in the passage, and many people do that in this movement that claim to be prophets, that that's a this is a separate topic, but people will claim all kinds of extra biblical mystical revelation on a passage. And if anybody was to read that passage on their own in in a room closed off by themselves, would they get that same interpretation? And there's a problem when we begin to have these multiple different revelations about one particular passage, but yet the original meaning of it and the original intent by the author is not sufficient. And that's unfortunately what happens in these types of movements. This is not denying biblical spiritual warfare. This is not denying the presence of Satan. This is not denying that we have power over sin in our lives and that we can resist the enemy and he will flee from us because of our submission to Christ and we are to stand firm even after... Putting on Christ, essentially, all the armor is pointing to Christ. And we must look at this in the context of when it was written by Paul and how he wrote it and where he was when he wrote it. We can't just take these things and apply them in a 21st century way and then add our twist onto them and have them mean something they don't mean. And I was part of the teaching of, well, you need, to, you need to put on the armor of God. Every morning, you need to confess this over yourself and decree and declare it out loud. Scripture is sufficient in our understanding when it's pointing it ba- us back to Christ, rather than to ourselves, arming, getting suited up in armor and then having to fight the battle. We're actually told after the, the armor's put on in Ephesians 6 that we're to stand Because our hope is in Christ. He's the one that's fighting the battles. He's the one that has the victory. And we have victory because of him. So you can see how these types of teachings, there can be sincerity in them, but we need to stick to what scripture actually says. At about 25 minutes in, Nyla shares her deliverance from religion, and she says this happened from watching a TLR movie called The Beginning. Now, I had heard TLR before, and I just double-checked it, but sure enough, it's what I thought it was. It is a movie put out by a, a organization, I'm going to call it, called The Last Reformation that is headed up by Torben Sondregard. And if any of you all know that name, and you know some of the problems with his teaching, then that should be a red flag to you. This individual, there's been some things going on with him. I'm not going to get into, but he came from Denmark. I think he's going back to Denmark. At any rate, he has uh, practices where he would do water baptisms on people. And immediately when they come up from the water, they would begin to cast demons out of people or alleged to cast demons out of people. Really big on the private prayer language and, and lots of other practices that were very concerning, including in his home country. So I'm going to leave it at that. When I heard that, that was, that was troubling to say the least, that that was a huge influence on her. And I would just encourage that anybody that's listening to the last reformation, please test those things against scripture Um, and don't fall into the trap of uh, exalting a man or defending a man. You need to defend the gospel and defend what the truth of the word of God is. So, this is an appeal to experience. Again, this is the, the the drive of this episode today. This is an appeal to experience. And I would just ask, where in Scripture do we see people being water baptized and demons manifesting? Um, Romans 6 uh, is is the chapter you want to go to for understanding water baptism. And it is it is an a, a ordinance that we are told in Scripture to do as believers. And it is to publicly profess to people that we have died with Christ. And that when we come up out of the water, the old man has been buried with Christ and and then we come up and we and we rise in Christ and that we have the promise of eternal life. So I would encourage you to read Romans 6, and it is really troubling when I see people doing water baptisms, and I've talked about this in an episode before, uh, again, the disconnect. You're saying that you are rising in Christ uh, with the promise of eternal life. We live in a now and not yet, as as it should be evident to us, because we live in bodies that are decaying, and we live in a fallen world, but we have hope because of Christ, and we are not left ill-equipped. It is very troubling when I see people that are adopting this practice and they're casting, alleging to cast demons out of someone during a water baptism. Again, how does this not diminish what Christ has done? The finished work of Christ on the cross, how does that not do that? Uh, to be casting demons out of believers after a water baptism diminishes the power of the gospel and the new creation God has done in regenerating a person. Uh, as I said, Nyla mentioned that she did self-deliverance on herself, and she noticed it was similar to New Age and getting a release. She notes the call to renew your mind by the Word of God, and I would agree with what she said here. However, she goes on to say that by agreeing with the with who she used to be, such as being depressed, that she came into agreement with those spirits or those demons and gave them access to her life. And uh, both her and Angela compare this to the practice in the New Age of agreement. And she says that when a spirit of rejection comes around instead of agreement, with it you renew your mind with the word and reject it standing on the truth and they mentioned staying free from these demons by walking in holiness and putting on christ putting on the armor of god there is some truth to what they are saying at the same time we do not maintain our deliverance and i doubt that that's what they meant by it but i want you to understand something salvation is deliverance we are delivered from the domain of darkness according to Colossians 113 and 14. And that is by Christ and what He did, and we have been redeemed, and we have been forgiven of our sins if we are a born again believer. And we're going to talk about the sin factor in here in just a little bit because that's brought up as well. And now saying, "Well, I don't identify as a sinner any longer. I'm I'm a saint, and I basically whenever I'm tempted to sin, I just cast those things down, and it's not a problem for me." Th- there's some issues with some of this teaching because th- there are things we can't get into today, just because of time's sake, but there are teachings from the Keswick movement. There are things of Jonathan Wesley, where yes, he was. A, a There were things that he taught that were solid, but there were also doctrines that he grabbed a hold of of perfectionism that went too far. There are things that you're going to find um, Charles Finney. There are other th- beliefs that have gone around that are very problematic, even Pelagianism. And they're not. It doesn't sound like they're. Doesn't sound like they're adopting Pelagianism with sinless perfection. They do acknowledge that you sin. It's just the way that they're going about it. It almost seems like, well, they're doing it. Uh, and they, again, I want to be fair because I don't believe that's what they're trying to say, but it, it comes across that way. Well, I, I just know the power that I walk in, so I'm just able. It's just easy now. It's like a water off a duck's back, essentially. I think that many of us as born again believers would disagree with that. And just because I acknowledge that I have a sinful nature, And uh, Romans 7, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but Romans 7 even talks about this. That does not mean that I don't believe in the power of God. And that's something that's stated in this conversation, that those that uh, continue to acknowledge that that sinful way, that they're basically trying to find however much they can sin without going too far and things. There's false dichotomies that are made all throughout this conversation, that w- we need to be fair. And, and I, that goes both ways. I need to be fair. They need to be fair. So I want to acknowledge that. But that was something that was stated. And um, though there is some truth to what they're saying, I just want to point you to one example. And this may seem extreme to to. Some But I'm going to point it out uh, because there is an article that Kenneth Copeland has on his website, and it talks about the prayer of agreement. So when you look on his website, for example, about what is the prayer of agreement and how do I pray it, that he says that a prayer of agreement is one that is based on God's word, whether it be for salvation, healing, finances, or deliverance, God's word addresses every life issue. And once you locate the scriptures that apply to your situation, you simply declare those scriptures over it, always thanking the Lord for his answer according to his word and continuing to go on and talk about the prayer of agreement. So I I want to point that out as an example. Uh, When someone says, you just need to come in agreement with God's word. I think the good question would be, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Do you do we agree that God's what God's word said is the truth, and that we know how to properly apply it to our lives, or are we doing it in such a way that is questionable? Uh, that's something I think is good to ask on all sides when you have so, anyone say say something like that that's causing a little bit of confusion or not bringing clarity. Uh, they do talk about the formula for deliverance, and Angela made a statement of saying that Acts. Uh, shows, which there's only two accounts actually in uh, the book of Acts where there are demons that are cast out. This is not very prevalent that this is going on according to Acts. And then in Paul's letters, she talks about Paul lays it out very clearly about how to get rid of demons and then to walk in freedom uh, according to what the word says. I, I would just like to know where did Paul tell believers to cast demons out of other believers? Because that's not in Scripture. That's not in the epistles that we read. Again, there's an appeal to Scripture in this. There's also a a great appeal to personal experience. And I want to be sympathetic. I'm sympathetic and compassionate on that to a point that ends where it begins to diminish the gospel and it begins to use scripture in a way that it was not intended and there are several times that scripture was used in such a way that I have talked about again on several episodes where it's misappropriated and it's not in the proper context of what they're saying and or the word doesn't mean that she talks about and they talk about a Christian can have a demon we can have whatever we want that's free will and she goes on to mention how Jesus told people that he healed your faith has made you whole. Now, I want a brief note on this because when you go to look this up about what Jesus meant by that, I found this on gotquestions.org and I want to read this to you. It says when Jesus said to certain people, your faith has made you well, he was saying that their faith, their confidence in him had been the means of their restoration. The power of Christ was what affected the cure, but his power was applied in connection with their faith. Just as faith of some enabled them to receive healing, so healing was sometimes stymied by a lack of faith. This is referenced in Matthew 13:58. In the same way, salvation comes to a sinner through faith. Everyone who is saved must believe, but it is the power of Christ that saves, not the power of faith. Faith is only the instrument, not the power itself. In other words, the value of one's faith does not come from the one who expresses it, but from the object in which it rests, referencing Mark ten fifty two and eleven twenty two, Ultimately, healing is not contingent upon the quality of one's faith, but upon the healer. It was through Christ that the woman in Matthew 9 was able to receive a bodily peace as well as a spiritual peace. And I want to also note something here that apart from Christ, we are bound to sin. Scripture points this out. It plainly states this in Romans 6.16, John 8.34, and Romans 7.23. When we are apart from Christ, our will is bound to sin. Apart from Christ, our will is bound to sin. Now, I have heard solid Bible teachers say regarding sin in the born-again believer. It's not that you're sinless, but you will sin less. As a believer, because of progressive sanctification and because of the Holy Spirit working within you. At about 35 minutes in, uh, Nyla says the Holy Spirit led her to look in the New Testament every time Jesus healed or delivered a person. The person uh, was pointed back to their faith and she says, God wants us to understand the power of our agreement. Well, my question would be, what about those who were healed without having faith? Because there are accounts in scripture where people were healed and they had no faith. They had zero I mean, you think about um, the the man at the pool of Bethesda, where multitudes were gathered to be healed, and Jesus chose one man to heal, and this was very interesting. Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be made well, and his answer was basically based on an angel being able to carry him into the pool and that he wasn't fast enough to get into the water. God extended grace to this man. He had no faith. He didn't even know it was Jesus who had healed him until much later, and this account's found in John chapter 5. So... That's one account that we see. We we also see the man born blind in John 9. He did not ask to be healed. Um, he was chosen to be healed. This was an example of God's grace. And again, these are examples that are used in this gotquestions.org article. So I, I'm going to reference that to you and, and provide the link for it. But this man was born blind, and in the case of this man, um, Jesus dealt with the physical problems separately from dealing with the spiritual need. And then the man in John 9, the, the man born blind, later comes to a full realization of who Jesus is, and it... Exercises faith in him in verse 38. So, this had nothing to do with their faith or them coming into agreement. This was an extension of God's grace being shown. So, I'm going to offer that for pushback. Uh, because that that what she's saying does not match up. Again, be very cautious and and test when someone says, "What do you mean by agreement?" and and she may not mean a word of faith thing, but I think that she needs to be aware that that's a potential. And word of faith is heretical teaching. It is a heretical teaching because of the things that they teach. Uh, the faith is not in your faith. Faith is in Christ. He is the object. Of our faith. I think these ladies would agree with that, but I just want to point that out. When you begin to say your faith is, is in your faith, that's word of faith, um, and that needs to be marked and avoided. About 41 minutes in, Nyla had deliverance done before, but she cites casting out a demon and not renewing your mind and the demon coming back. And, the, and what she cites is Matthew 12, 43 through 45. I have addressed this several times, including in the interview that Angela and Taylor did. So you can go back and listen to that if you like. I will provide the link to that podcast episode as well. But uh, just be clear, uh, when Jesus said this in Matthew 12, this was before the giving of the Holy Spirit, born again believers are not Empty, and so they also mention this. Um, she, co- Angela, covers her bases about forty-two minutes in. She asks the question of the argument that born-again believers are not empty, and Nyla says that this gets into inner and outer courts. Now, I don't know where she's getting that from, and it could be from teachings such as Pagani or Saldivar, other things, that whole statement of, well, a Christian can have whatever they want, that's an Isaiah Saldivarism. So, again, I mean, these little quippy statements, they're not based in truth, because a born-again believer does not belong to themselves. They are bought at a price. We live in, and again, we live in a now and not yet, there is still that sinful nature that we have to contend with, but we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Romans eight thirteen talks about that the Holy Spirit helps us to kill sin. He helps us. And so, this is not about you coming into agreement and confessing or proclaiming or declaring a certain passage over you and that that's just going to be easy peasy. Oh, if you just were in the secret place if, my goodness, I don't. If I could have a dollar for every time I talk about the secret place when I was a prophet in this movement, I'd probably have a lot of money in the bank. But nobody even knows where the secret place is. <laughs> That's just a joke. At any rate, I mean the, these things that are said to sound deep and profound at times by any of us, but the truth is that we need to get back to the Word of God. We need to get back to it in the proper context and understand that there is power in the Word of God. Um, Regardless of what our opinion is about certain things, we have to continue to submit ourselves to the Word of God and obey what His Word says. And these ladies also stated that, and I appreciate them stating that. We got to get to it in the proper context. And my concern is that there are things that are being said that they've been influenced by deliverance ministries. And, and teaching these these verses improperly. So they do cover that about, uh, the, she doesn't want to get into the inner and outer courts. And if we agree with the spirit, we give it access. Again, this whole agreeing thing. I actually, on a side note, came across this recent reel, actually this morning from Taylor Scroggins. And she talks about that she left astrology because uh, she realized that coming into agreement that the, actually the astrology was correct because demons could tell your future, tell your death, tell if you had sickness. And she said, well, Jesus doesn't give us sickness, and we don't have all these problems, and I came out of agreement with those things because they were powerful. Well, first of all, demons are not omniscient, and God is the one that numbers our days. He's the one that knows how much time we have on this earth, and I'm just going to say this up front, and I may say it again during this podcast, and this is going to be a little bit longer podcast, so thanks for sticking with me if you're still here, but I'm going to say this. This entire teaching on Christians, have, quote, having demons... And then trying to create these beliefs and these doctrines of telling people how to maintain their deliverance and that you can give demons access and and by coming into agreement with them and legal rights, which, again, there were no Bible verses that were used to affirm this because there aren't any to affirm this. This type of teaching gives sovereignty to Satan. It gives sovereignty to Satan and, and sometimes it even gives sovereignty to us because we have free will and we can control and we have power to do this. Even though we'll say that the Holy Spirit has power and he has authority, but yet we'll, we'll tell people that are professing Christians, well, no, you have free will so you can let demons in. Well, who is sovereign here? And then when you're telling people, well, I the, I left astrology or whatever you left, because I've I realized that there was power in that and that uh, that it was basically declaring when my death would be and, and all these other things and 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 sickness, and I just don't want to declare that, that stuff over myself. I would encourage you to read scripture and to see um, that there were apostles that got sick. There were apostles, for example, that got beaten. They got persecuted. They were killed for their faith. Are you going to say that, that God wasn't sovereign over those things? Things, that sovereign, that God wasn't sovereign over Stephen being stoned to death because of his profession, bold profession of Jesus Christ. One of the things that is really avoided in these types of movements that I came out of is suffering, and that we don't want to hear that. We want God's. We want to live the, our best life now, and we want God's what we deem as God's blessing. What we don't realize, and what we won't um, admit many times, is that. In God's sovereignty, when He permits, because nothing goes through His hands without Him knowing about it, when there are things that come to us, that there could be things that are being used to sanctify us, to draw us closer to Christ, and to realize who is sovereign and who has the authority, and who we are submitted to, because we are under authority. And there is this massive push to constantly claim your authority and you walk in power and you walk and, and, sad to say there's a lot of people claiming that right now there there's one particular example I can think of that's not related to this but there's a tragedy going on right now that I noticed online and it's it's terrible and there's been all this decreeing and declaring and and prophesying and such and irreverently referring to God in such ways that I I pray that this person uh, has mercy from God extended to them because it's it's awful but Uh, there's just such a a way that really Satan is made sovereign and that God's sovereignty is diminished and that our free will is elevated. And be very cautious about those types of teachings. Be very cautious and make sure that you're going back to what scripture says in context. About 42 minutes in, I do wanna play this. Angela says there's two verses that make it clear regarding deliverance ministry. Let's listen to what she has to say because you've heard enough from me for just a little bit.
1: And two verses that come to mind for me that, you know, it makes it simple. It says, mm-hmm. do not give the devil a foothold. Right. It's really, you really descriptive. You can give the devil a foothold. You can get a foothold is a place. Yes. Don't give them a place. Right. And now people will do mental gymnastics around that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just means this. It just means that it's like, mm-hmm. how about we just read what it says and take it at right. face value, like the rest of the word. Right.
2: Okay, let's do that then. There's one other verse that she mentioned I'll get to in just a minute. But the Ephesians 4.27, again, another one I've covered. I covered it on their deliverance talk that she had with Taylor, And uh, just to, to, put, to drive this point home, if you do a Bible study on this and you take God's Word at face value, and that includes looking at the Greek and Hebrew if you really need some proper understanding on it and listening to solid Bible teachers on the matter that know Greek and Hebrew— then you're going to know that place there is not a geographical location. It is an opportunity. And this is not word semantics. This is called Bible study. So that's the gentle but firm pushback I'll give on that. And she also references 1 Peter 5, 8, stating that the devil can consume you. Uh, I would encourage you to please do a Bible study and to read this on your own time and see that Peter told these believers how other fellow believers in the next verse in verse 9 were under the same type of suffering. And the emphasis here is not only to combat the enemy, but to trust in the Lord, because Peter talks about suffering. It's meant to drive the point home that Satan is want to Satan is wanting to weaken the faith of believers, to take their their focus off of Christ in the midst of persecution which is promised. You can try to say that you can not going to come into agreement with certain Bible passages so you don't have to suffer through persecution. Good luck with that. Because Jesus told his own disciples, his apostles, they would be hated. And if they hated him, people will hate us as believers when you are professing and confessing the truth. And let me just say this too, just because someone calls your, th- your belief into question or my belief into question, that is not persecution. That is called being tested in accordance with scripture. That is not Persecution. If your teaching or your practice and your belief is being tested and scrutinized in accordance with Scripture and and being judged with righteous judgment, as we are told in John 7, 24, that's not persecution. So that's something we all need to get away from. Oh, I'm being persecuted because people are saying such mean things about me because I actually came out and said something online. Listen, people say, I don't know how many times I've been told I'm a Pharisee and have a religious spirit and critical, and I don't even know the Holy Spirit because of coming out of this movement and, and people saying calling me a witch, that I have the Jezebel spirit, religious spirit. I mean, we can go down, tick off things down the list. And yeah, those things hurt. But I have to go back to what the Word of God says and to see, okay, some of these things are being said about me and they're they're being unjustly said and I just need to move on and pray for those people. And then there are other things that I need to continuously be willing to go back and, and judge my conduct, to judge what I'm saying, making sure that I'm agreeing with Scripture, not trying to get Scripture to agree with my opinion. And in deliverance ministry, there's a lot of this going on. People are trying, again, they're trying to get scripture to conform to their experience. And I would just say, please go back to the word of God. Please make sure that you are testing these things and truly being humble about them. There are many things that I experienced in this movement, and I had to go back and say, Those are not biblical, and I reject them. It does not matter how real the experience was. It is not found in Scripture. It did not glorify Christ, and it did not bring me into sanctification, further sanctification. And I had to repent and reject those things and have my mind renewed by the Word of God and realizing I don't need a supernatural experience to validate me as a Christian. I don't need to audibly hear the voice of God or claim to hear audibly the voice of God in order to validate me having true fellowship with God. At any rate, uh, 44 minutes in, they talk about Christians having a demon and using the example of Ananias and Sapphira. I would like to say, note the passage and what it says in Acts 5, Peter held Ananias accountable for his actions, not Satan. Uh, it does not say that Satan entered Ananias, and we are never told that this same thing was said to Sapphira. Now, Nyla makes this comment and says they both were filled with Satan. That's not what the passage says. And it never says that Satan indwelt uh, Ananias. Now, when we, if you want to look in the Gospels, for example, it makes it very clear that Satan entered Judas. Judas was not a Christian. He was not, he was known as the son of perdition and he was chosen by Christ in order to fulfill the scriptures so that he would be betrayed by Judas and that he would be sent to the cross for our sins, for the atonement of our sins. He was not a believer. We have no idea if Ananias and Sapphira were true believers or not, or if they were believers that were being disciplined by God because they lied to the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. What we do know is that not only did they lie to the Holy Spirit, a demon was not cast out of Ananias. If Satan had entered Ananias, why did Peter, who was speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit, why did he not cast that spirit out? He was struck dead because he submitted to the wickedness of his heart that agreed with Satan's nature. they then appeal to personal experience. So Nyla says that a Christian can have a demon, but has no excuse to have a demon. So about 48 minutes in, uh, they talk about walking in holiness and purity and that you have, you were to have no open door and that doors are open to demons by sin. Um, You've been given the power by his spirit to pick up your cross and follow him.
0: That is what you've been enabled to do by the Holy Spirit. In our own strength, in our own flesh, we do not have the capacity to walk holy. We don't, we can't. Like if we are still in our carnal way of thinking, or if we're trying in our own strength to be perfect, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk righteous and live holy. Mm -hmm. And so we have no excuse having a demon if we're following Jesus, because we should be obeying him and we should be submitted to him and following him. And if you're doing that, if you're walking holy, living holy, living pure for Jesus, you have no open door to a demon. Doors are opened to demonic oppression or possession by sin. So if you're choosing to actually agree with what God has done in your life, which is wash you clean and make you whole, and then you're living that truth, the truth of scripture. You have no excuse to have a demon, in my opinion. Now, that's not because that people will say like, oh, you're saying you're perfect. You never sin, (laughs) which we know we, um, we, we wanted to get to. And I have a scripture for that. Let me just find it. So 1 John 3 says that no one who lives in Christ will keep on sinning.
2: Okay, so she mentions 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and uh, I, when she said this, you know, again, we can go through and try to pick and, and choose scriptures, and I think it's really important to make sure when we read 1 John that we're noticing what's being stated there, and again, I have a link to um, an article on gotquestions.org that I think will be helpful to this, and the title of that article is... What does it mean that believers do not continue to sin? Focusing on 1 John 3, 6 and 5, 18. So I will post that link for you as well. But when she talks about this, uh, the, one of the questions that came to me was, what What about 1 John 1, 8? If we just want to take a verse and look at it, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So speaking truth, uh, according to one of these uh, uh, articles that I found, when you're talking about 1 John 1, 8 and 9, speaking truth means that we don't have the capacity to cleanse ourselves from sin or cleanse other people from their sins. So, again, there's some wordage here that almost sounds like, I don't know if it's on the lines of being influenced by some of the things like the perfectionism teachings and other such things. I'm not sure where this is coming in of, of what they're saying. But at any rate... I wanted to, to point that out. You know, look at First John 1 8. We can't say that we're without sin. And these ladies also say, too, that we're not saying that you can have perfectionism. At the same time, again, they're saying if you come into agreement, they're, they're standing on the, that and saying that that's like the new age. If you come into agreement with these things, then you can let demons in. Scripture, please. Chapter and verse is, is what I would say. Uh, we need to understand that as Christians, we will sin. True born-again believers are not sinless, as I said, but we, but we sin-less. And we will not commit willful or habitual sin that is a lifestyle. And this is something that First John looks at, is that willful and habitual lifestyle, that there is no sanctifi- ongoing sanctification in the life of that believer. And to acknowledge that we still have that sinful nature and that we're both sinner and saint, and I'll get there in just a minute, there's another article I'll point you to, but that that's not to be weak in our faith, that is to acknowledge what Scripture actually says. I mean, when they go on to talk about when you are filled with the Holy Spirit about 56 minutes in and say you don't want to sin, and Nayla says that if you will still crave sin, then you will likely have a demon. Where is the Bible verse for that? You're speaking from your opinion or your personal experience. So, you you can't just say these things and then not have scripture to affirm them. That's in the proper context. This is just her belief system and her opinion that she's stating. They discuss the armor of God, and that's what keeps demons out. And there was an emphasis again on shutting down the supernatural by embracing religion. This is a false dichotomy. The most miraculous thing, as I've said, is a spiritually dead individual being brought to life by the Holy Spirit, being indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit, and walking in true freedom in Christ. And this is issue of christian having indwelling demons matters because it diminishes the finished work of Christ on the cross and it ultimately gives sovereignty to satan as i said either the holy spirit is powerful enough to keep demons out or he is not and that's the thing that i would i would emphasize if we believe in the power of the holy spirit and this is something I thought about recently when I was having a discussion about uh, these deliverance teachings. There is such an emphasis on doing the greater works, like John 14 says, the greater works that Jesus did. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to do greater works than him. And we're going to do all these awesome things. And we're going to cast demons out because scripture tells us to. I, w- I would just see, look and see what the scripture, who's is, who is Jesus talking to when he says these things, look in context. Uh, there's this huge emphasis on we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to do the things, even greater things than He did, because we're supposed to do exactly what He did because of the body of Christ. Well, if we are the body of Christ, why would you believe that we can have indwelling demons as the body of Christ? If He's the head and we're the body, why would you believe that He would permit by His Spirit indwelling demons to come into a person and this whole thing is going to come back to this tripart being, which is a word of faith teaching about people being three parts and this teaching of, well, they can live in your flesh or your soul. Where is that in Scripture? Chapter and verse again. I'm going to be one of those annoying people. Chapter and verse, please. This teaching is is diminishing the power of God. And I think we would agree on an individual's participation in progressive sanctification. I would hope that we would. And we also agree that there is spiritual warfare. Where we disagree is the vantage point for the believer as to where this warfare takes place. And I would also note that Ephesians 6 essentially points to us being clothed in Christ and that we are to stand rather than engage in personal combat. We are to stand firm, trusting in God to fight on our behalf. A little little over an hour in, they talk about um, not having a works-based salvation because they want to rebut the argument that could come immediately, well, you're just preaching a works-based salvation. And they quote James about faith without works is dead. And we would agree that we are made for good works and that our works do not save us. I would 100% agree with that. There is, however, one work that has saved us, and that is God's finished work of Christ on the cross. That is the work that has saved us. And I firmly believe, and I refuse to, um, to come off of this belief, that, the, that Philippians talks about in Philippians 1.8, that the work that God has started in me, He will finish. He started it. And he will finish it. I can't take any credit for it. That's for my justification. At the same time, my sanctification, he is allowing me to work with the Holy Spirit in my sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's in Philippians as well. Philippians 2. So God is the one that's doing the work at the same time in our sanctification, we are working our salvation, not our justification out. We're working out our sanctification, our salvation with fear and trembling, because we've been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. This is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, About an hour and seven minutes in, they talk about no longer being a sinner, but a saint. Since they want to adopt this belief of, well, I'm no longer a sinner, but a saint. And I I think I kind of get what they're trying to say here. And I understand that there can be this, this mindset of... Um, not understanding that we have been redeemed, that we are a child of God, that we have been brought out of darkness into light, that we're a new creation. At the same time, once again, we live in a now and not yet. We are not glorified yet. We are not perfected yet. So we live in a world where we are still capable of sinning. It's not about falling forward. Sin is rebellion against God. We are still capable of sin. If we weren't, then why would Jesus instruct his disciples in the Lord's Prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer? Why would he instruct them to, it seems like a daily prayer because it says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why would he tell us and his, his disciples to pray such a prayer if we could not be capable and, and potentially sin even on a daily basis, and I'm not talking like they did of seeing how much alcohol you can drink or how much uh, marijuana you can smoke or how much you can fornicate. I'm not talking. We even we don't even realize some of the things that can be sinful, such as worry. And I've been I have been guilty and sinful of that worry, anxiety that that they can draw us away from Christ and focusing more on our problems. And that's where the Word of God comes in for us to continually be reminded and to be encouraged. Uh, How many of us are tempted on a daily basis and fall into the temptation to operate in pride, which is not a demon? That's sin. How many of us are tempted and fall into the temptation to be angry or to to not act in such a way that we demonstrate patience and self-control? How many of us fall into the trap of sinning and not being gentle and kind? All of us do, even as believers. And so that's why we need to go back to the word of God and be reminded and be quick to repent, confess our sins. We're told to confess our sins in James. This is a beautiful gift that we've been given. Why would Jesus need to continue to intercede for us in heaven on the right side of the right hand of the Father if we were not able to sin as believers? He's not interceding for those that aren't his. And scripture makes that clear. Why would he say in John seventeen the high priestly prayer? Why would he, uh, why would he pray about keeping us from the evil one, keeping his that are that belong to him from the evil one? Praying to the Father, Jesus never prayed a vain, vapid prayer in his life because he's the Son of God. If he if he prayed that we would be kept from the evil one as his sheep, as his elect, then I'm going to believe that. I'm going to believe. And I think it's a far greater promise to believe that I have forgiveness for my sins, past, present, and future, and that I can go before the throne of grace, and that I have a high priest that's ever interceding for me. I am far more encouraged and comforted by that, not to sin, but to know that when I do and when I am not uh, glorifying God in my conduct, even as something as simple as not being patient, And gentle and kind, for example, that I can go to the Father because I am His child. And also, to recognizing that there are moments where He may discipline me for my actions or my poor choices, but it's all for His glory. I am far more comforted by that truth that's in Scripture than to continue to ever entertain the thought that demons could enter me as the temple of God and as a born-again believer and that I would need deliverance and that, oh, I just need to watch and make sure I don't have a crack in a spiritual door because a demon might come in. And then I may need deliverance done rubbish. I refuse to believe that sort of teaching ever again. As they went on, they talked about being both sinner and saint, and they referenced Romans 7 and uh, called it into question as far as uh, Nayla said that the, the church has been teaching it wrong, essentially, and that Paul is, speak, is um, not speaking of himself as a born-again believer. Uh, she mentions about him saying that he was the chief of sinners in Romans 7. Let me just bring some clarity. He did not call himself the chief of sinners in, in that passage. That was actually in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Either way, he speaks of himself in the present tense, not in the past tense. Now, there are some people that believe, if you look in commentaries, they will argue from the standpoint that Paul was not talking about himself as a believer, that he was talking about someone else. And then there are people that hold to the teaching, yes, in fact, he was talking about himself. If you read it in the progression of Romans 6, 7, and 8, it makes sense. So... I do have an uh, article, I believe, about that as well, and I just want to point this out. This was an article I found on 1517 is the name of the website, where it's uh, Simultaneously Righteous and Sinner, an Introduction, and this author talks about uh, Romans 7, 15 through 20, stating, and it states here, What am I doing? I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And at the same time, Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So this article makes a note of saying Paul did not speak of himself in the past tense here. He spoke in the present tense that Um, He was an active sinner, in fact, not in theory. The apostle confesses that in his flesh, he's a slave to the law of sin and death, yet at the same time, in the present tense, through the Spirit, he's a slave to Jesus Christ. Something else to consider is that um, not only is he speaking in the first person here in Romans 7, but this is describing someone who desires to obey God's law while hating sin and um, noticing sin in himself, recognizing it, and in serving Jesus Christ with his mind. And Paul makes it clear in earlier verses such as in Romans 1 and in Romans 3 that none of these things um, comprise an unbeliever. Unbelievers are not aware of their sin. The only way that you can be aware of your sin is by the illumination of the Holy Spirit because if you're in bondage to sin, you don't want God. So Paul is actually describing someone, it would seem, that wants to obey God, that wants to follow God, but recognizes that there's another member at work, and it's his sinful nature, it's his flesh, but he recognizes who his Savior is. Um, They go on to talk about um, that people have asked her, so you don't sin, Nayla says this, and her response is, no, I can sin, I just choose not to sin because of free will. Again, that's placing... The power on you rather than on the Holy Spirit that that may not be what was intended but that's the way it sounds about a, an hour and 34 minutes in they mentioned about Romans 13 14 to put on Christ and they say it is telling us we have to do something I would agree that we are to be transformed by Christ and grace does not give us a pass to allow for sin but again that's a false dichotomy being made. They talk about the biggest problem is self-possession, about an hour and 43 minutes in, holding on to being a sinner. That's, that's what Nayla says is the biggest problem. What if people uh, do things that they don't view as sin would be my question. Uh, what do we do with the prayer Jesus told his disciples to pray that includes the daily prayer to forgive us? I've already mentioned that they talk about renewing your mind with the word of God. I would agree with that a little over two hours in, uh, they mention about the same power of the spirit is able to resist sin. Well, if they believe this, then why is he not powerful enough to keep out demons? See, see, there, there are things that are said and, and they're said in sincerity, but I, we need to follow them out in scripture. That pretty much sums up the gist of what was stated. There were some things that were said repetitively um, throughout this discussion, and, and I've said things repetitively throughout this <laughs> this, this uh, episode today, so that happens. But I wanted to end with some thoughts, and then uh, before I do that, I want to circle back around to the beginning of Nayla's testimony, because I think it's worth mentioning, uh, because there was a lot of things that she shared, have a lot of compassion for the things that uh, some some things the traumatic things that she went through in, in growing up and such. Um, she is was in an occult background and she had a lot of occultic practices that she engaged in. She was heavily entrenched in it. Um, but she talks about about a um, an hour and a half into her testimony she mentions about having a vision of Jesus and that there was fire that he put in her heart there was a discussion she had back and forth and he told according to her she focused on the the, the details of his sandals and the details of his robe and how and what he looked like and that she realized it was Jesus and that um, he came and sat down in front of her. He had fire in his hands and that he took it and put it in her heart and had this conversation of telling her that he loved her and how unique she was. Now, mind you, this is when she is very much she's into witchcraft. She's into doing all of these, the womb uh, womb magic and blood uh, blood magic and, and all this uh, womb worship and, and all the things that she's talking about, believing she was a goddess and such. But she's having this, uh, this uh, vision of Jesus and this conversation of him telling her how much he loves her and u- unique she is and she stated that he renewed her mind and healed her that day yet she was not saved according to her and this encounter needed to occur before salvation is what she stated the problem is is that this encounter led her to searching for Jesus where she found Christ consciousness and sophia worship and mary magdalene worship and she stated that the demon of sophia entered her but she she continues to profess this radical encounter she had with Jesus and saying, that's the real Jesus, but yet she was led into further deception. So I think a valid question to ask is, was this really Jesus? Because here's the point I want to make with, with this, because um, she mentioned about you know the Holy Spirit led her to go and look at all these experiences in, in Scripture. And when people said that their faith had made them whole and to see how the power of agreement was a key thing, which we've already talked about that, that was not in, in all situations. I want you to note something, and I think it's important to, to mention this, with experiences. When we go to Scripture And we look in, for example, the book of Acts, and we see these supernatural experiences that took place. We need to note the outcome when a supernatural experience occurred, such as a dream or a vision or anything of that nature. What happened? Did it reveal truth? Yes, it did. The gospel was ministered, the true gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of your sins and to recognize your need for Christ, that you're a lawbreaker. And that you are separated from God and that his judgment rests upon you apart from him. His wrath rests upon you. But God, rich in mercy, sent his son to die on the cross. Now, there's things that she says in her testimony that, that there's some truth there. But this really concerns me when someone's appealing to this personal experience for, for several reasons. But I want you to consider this. When you look in scripture and there were supernatural experiences, did they reveal truth and was God glorified? Or did they point people to deception? Over and over, even in the Old Testament, we see that there are people that that truly knew God, and truly God was coming to them and, and saying things to them, that they were led to the truth. False prophets were led into further deception. You can see this in Ezekiel 13 and Jeremiah 23, when God himself talks about that they had all these dreams and that he did not send them. He did not give them the dreams. He was not the author of those dreams. And they were leading Israel into further and further deception and idolatry. So I would have heavy caution with people that are claiming supernatural experiences. And I would just give some encouragement because someone may hear that Uh, testimony of hers and say, well, I've never had Jesus come to me. I've never had these experiences, which, you know, she goes on to, to talk about her experiences where the the Sophia demon possessed her, and that she began to be instructed audibly to build a temple, and that brand herself with tattoos, and um, she goes into talking about this, that a client mentioned about the Bible being true, and that she was continuing on with her work, and then another encounter occurred where Jesus Christ busted into her room and showed her every sin she had ever committed, stating that she was pinned down to her bed as this happened, and that she also tells of love rushing over her, and understanding what really love was and saying out of her mouth that Jesus Christ was the only way to God. And after this she tells of Jesus t- taking her in her dreams since she did not have a bible and being close to her and talking to her audibly teaching her the bible in her sleep and showing her the mystery keys of the old and new covenant and that these were the real spiritual downloads she had been craving Th- these are verbatim the things that she said in her testimony so one of the things I'd like to point out is when someone hears this they may say well I've never seen Jesus I've never had this happen and l- Let let me point this out, too, before I get to my point. She admits early on in her testimony that at a young age she was able to summon spirits. So that would be the other question I would ask is, was this really weighed out and tested knowing the history of summoning spirits? Because she was crying out for weeks, wanting the truth and telling, screaming at the sky, she said, for weeks and telling God that she wanted the truth. And then the spirit comes. Was this really Jesus? She was not led into salvation. She was not convicted of her sin at that point. She, there was a flame that was put in her heart, but yet she was led into Christ consciousness, Sophia worship, possessed by a Sophia demon, according to her, and led into Mary Magdalene worship. Would Jesus do that? Would Jesus give a vision that would lead someone into further deception? Is that what Scripture shows us? The, the thing that I do want to point out when she was telling her testimony, I was reminded when Jesus comes to his disciples and Thomas puts his hand on Jesus' side because he had been doubting, he put his hands in the holes of his hands, and Jesus makes a point to, to say to him, "'Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe.'" So, dear believer, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm less than because I've never seen Jesus, I've never heard an audible voice, I've never had any of these experiences, those things don't mark you as a believer, and they're certainly not the benchmark of you claiming that you have true intimacy and fellowship with Christ. His finished work on the cross is what marks you as a believer. His spirit indwelling you from the moment of salvation and sealing you for the day of redemption is what marks you as a believer. It's His work. And his testimony that seals you and affirms you as a believer and blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe that is true faith. (laughs) We have not seen and yet we believe that Christ did what what the scripture attests to that he did, that it testifies of his work and we believe And we have great hope to look forward to in eternity, and we cling to that hope right now, even in this fallen world, as we're continuing to be sanctified by His Spirit. The thing is, with these closing thoughts, I want to pose, and again, thank you so much for staying with me through this longer episode today. The very thing that these ladies are arguing for is what we say Scripture states, and what Christ has done. Christ has set us free. Colossians 1, 12-13, I wanted to read this uh, from a commentary I have in a, a study Bible. This is from Philip McAnthon. To be in darkness is not to know God, not to experience or even know for sure that he is angry with sinners, but that he also forgives their sins. In fact, it is not to know what sin is. Human reason does not know what righteousness is because it imagines that God can be appeased by our works. So the argument is not, was your experience real, but does scripture agree with it? That's what it comes down to. Because Scripture, in spite of any of our lip service, mine or yours or anybody else's, as a Christian, Scripture is the final authority and it is sufficient. I don't have to have, and neither do you, any supernatural experience that we have to tell people about in order to validate our walk and our being called as a born-again believer. Our faith is in Christ. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in us to where He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is most certainly the helper, but He's also God. And we need Him to help us and to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And I am most certainly a saint, but I also have a sinful nature that will not be dealt with until I die. And that's something else that we need to remember, too. We're in a fallen world, and all of us are going to die. You can't come into any agreement where that's not going to happen. Our physical bodies that are still, can still be fleshly and carnal, are going to die. That's part of the curse, but we have hope of eternal life, and that's what we cling to. We cling to Christ, and so I would encourage you to go back to the Word of God, to study it in context. Make sure that you're continuing that to renew your mind. These women said about renewing your mind. I agree. Renew your mind with the Word of God in context. Test everything that you hear come from someone, including me. Test everything everything. Nobody is above correction. No matter how um, wild and how extravagant their experience is, if they're not willing to have it tested, that's a problem. No one is above testing and no one is above correction. And with that, I'm going to end our time together today. I hope that you found this helpful. I want to be gracious and kind yet firm, as I have said before in other episodes. And I I just want to point you back to the truth of God's word. And I do want to, one final thing, I do want to agree with things they said. Don't use YouTube videos as your final authority for your theology. Use them as supplements always testing them, and making sure, once again, you're in a solid Bible teaching church, that you are being rooted and grounded in the Word of God in the right context, you're applying it appropriately to your life, that you are abiding in His Word daily, and you are cultivating, continuing to cultivate that that relationship with God by knowing about Him in His Word so that you can glorify Him in everything that you do. And in those moments when you don't, because those moments will come, that you have the Holy Spirit who brings you to quick hastening conviction and that He draws you back to God and that you cry out to God and ask Him, God forgive me, Father forgive me, I recognize that I've sinned against you, and I ask that you would conform me, that you would continue to refine me, and that I would glorify you in all that I do. Help me by your spirit and by your word to know in the way in which I should walk, because his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I look forward to our time together again as we look at another topic. Until that time, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesubscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.